Hello and welcome to Stonebridge Worship Online. I'm Associate Pastor Jonathan Lucia. In the midst of continuing to be in COVID-19 and in the midst of our nation's social unrest, I want to share with you words from Psalm 13, um, which starts out with uh, questioning God and yet then turns to uh, significant words of faith. So, Psalm 113. How long, Lord, have you forgotten us? How long will the enemy of COVID-19 and social injustice triumph over us? How long, Lord, must we wrestle with our anxieties and our sorrow? But we will trust in your unfailing love. Our hearts will rejoice in your salvation. We will sing of the Lord's praise For God has been good to us. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Stonebridge Online. Feel free to pause the video during these announcements in order to grab all the information you may need. During this time of worshiping virtually, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. First, you can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com. Click on Online Giving. Secondly, you can give through your bank's bill pay option. Or third, by mail. If you'd like business reply offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. Our first ever drive through communion was such a success a few weeks ago, we're going to do it again this month. Join us on Saturday, July 11th at 5.30 p.m. This will also be a great opportunity to come wish Pastor Cynthia farewell before she moves to North Carolina to take on a position as campus chaplain at St. Andrews University. You can find out more details in last week's newsletter. We would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card you are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to online worship. Hey, everybody, it's great to be with you again. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks, Lord, um, Lord, that you are faithful. Lord, that you hear us when we call. Lord, that you love us perfectly and unconditionally, that you forgive us our sins by your grace. Uh, Lord, accept our praise today by your grace, Lord, and be honored, Lord, by the uh, attitude of our hearts as we worship you together. Lord, touch us, renew us, and strengthen us, Lord, that we might serve you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
You. Yeah. Yeah. 
Today's scripture comes from Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hello, Stonebridge. I'm wearing my red, white, and blue today as we celebrate independence and the 4th of July and the 4th of July weekend. We're so grateful for our freedom in America, in the United States. And uh, there are so many famous quotes that uh, we could use, but I think that one that uh, speaks to me today in the times that we're in and the challenges we face uh, come from, comes from Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, one flag, one land, one heart, one hand, one nation evermore. And we pray that that would be so and that God would bless our land. Well, in America, we have the freedom to do just about anything we want, but we don't always have the ability to do it. We have the freedom, but not the ability uh, in the story that we're looking at today, Jesus gives us a step, a way of thinking differently uh, about ourselves that could help us accomplish something that I think we do want to do. We have the freedom to become more like Christ, but we don't always have the ability. And so this step uh, in our text today can help us do that. Thinking differently, especially about ourselves, isn't easy. So I'm going to start with a step uh, that we can all uh, take to head us in the right direction of thinking differently about ourselves and thinking in the direction of Christ-likeness. And our step, our next step, is to regularly ask ourselves a question. That's it, just to regularly ask ourselves a question and then try to do the answer. In any situation, let's train ourselves to ask this one question and then seek to apply the answer. When we do this, we develop not just the freedom, but the ability to become more and more the people we want to be and to become more and more like Christ. And in the process, other people may be happier and may be helped. So here's the question. What would a caring person do right now? What would a caring person do right now? Now, I know. You're a caring person. I, I don't doubt that. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But just humor me for the next few minutes uh, and 
let's live with this question. Uh, what would a caring person do right now? This question uh, would have come in handy for some of the people in the story that we're looking at today. Uh, people who are a lot like some friends of mine. So uh, first let me introduce you to these friends of mine. Um, I've served in six churches. I've preached and teached in many more than that. And these friends have been in each of those churches. Not the same friends, but these kinds of friends. And these are the cream of the crop kinds of people. Uh, let me show you some pictures of them. Here's one uh, of them worshiping. These friends of mine are committed to local worship. They uh, support and attend and are loyal to their local churches. And here's another picture of them. These friends of mine believe in prayer, and they believe that prayer and studying God's Word is more than just doing it on the weekends in church, but it integrates God's Word and prayer and into our daily lives and connects us in our daily lives with the spiritual world as well. And here's another picture of them. These friends of mine love to study God's Word. A lot of them get into uh, groups and study the Bible every, every week. And here's another picture of them. Studying the Bible, being in groups, connecting with one another. I can always turn to these folks when we need elders and deacons and service volunteers. Uh, interestingly enough, these kinds of people play a prominent role in many of the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. And uh, they play a role in the story uh, today that we're looking at from Mark chapter 2. Folks like these friends of mine are right in the middle of the story that we're looking at. In the story, uh, there are several groups. There's Jesus and his disciples. There is a group called tax collectors and sinners, and another group called Pharisees. I'm going to let you decide which of those groups best fits and seems like this group of friends that I've been talking about. You've heard the story. Uh, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee one day, and he sees a man named Levi, a tax collector, collecting taxes there, and he calls him to follow him, and Levi does. And then Mark, the author of the gospel, jumps us to Levi's house later that day uh, for dinner, and Levi has invited Jesus and his disciples and Levi's friends, uh, what, who Mark calls tax collectors and sinners. So here's a quick uh, rundown of those two groups of people. Tax collectors uh, were oftentimes dishonest, and they were not trusted by the average person, and they worked for the Romans, and so they were considered traitors, not, not good people. Sinners uh, was actually a, a category of a kind of people whose habits and lifestyles and standards were irreligious. Uh, they didn't obey religious law. They often had jobs that conflicted with religious law. And since religion was the entrance into polite society and wealth and power, this group, these sinners, uh, were 
outsiders, marginalized from the rest of the community. And here, Jesus is having a meal with these people. He seems to actually like them. He's uh, invited at least one of them, Levi, to be a follower of his. Just like not too long ago, he invited fishermen to follow him. And then here were these other good church people outside. They were wondering what was going on with Jesus. A rabbi, a teacher of God's word. They hadn't been invited to the dinner, but they were following because they wanted to keep tabs on Jesus to make sure that he was you know, appropriate. Uh, they probably didn't feel comfortable in that part of town, but they stayed close. They felt it was their responsibility to keep track of him. And these folks were close enough to Levi's home that they saw some of Jesus's followers, his disciples, and they got a hold of them uh, and they challenged them about what was going on inside. We read in Mark 2, verse 16, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, uh, the cat's out of the bag, if we didn't know by now. Uh, it was the Pharisees in this story that were a lot like friends of mine in church today. Uh, I introduced them as being like friends of mine because the Pharisees back then were a lot like a lot of us today. And I, I, that, that's not me saying that we're bad. I'm saying they were good. They were good church-going people. Pharisees went to church every week. For them, it was the synagogue, but the same idea. Uh, but their faith didn't stop there. They had weekly Bible studies and daily devotions and prayer they were Bible teachers and learners of Scripture and people who focused on their faith. Pharisees were good old-fashioned, Bible-believing, common people, mostly blue-collar churchgoers. They believed God should be worshipped, not just at that temple somewhere far away in Jerusalem, but right here in our daily lives. Um, and to Pharisees, worship wasn't about bloody sacrifices. It was about studying God's word and praying. I'm telling you, Pharisees were our kind of people. Except that they rejected Jesus. They uh, resented his socializing, non-judgmental way with these tax collectors and sinners the unchurched people who didn't study the Bible and didn't pray and didn't go to church. Uh, they were always questioning or condemning Jesus, these Pharisees. Ultimately, they strategized on killing Jesus. And, and that doesn't sound like us or any of our friends. So how could Bible-believing, church-going, elder, deacon, usher types of people get it so wrong? Get things so messed up? I think it's because they did all those things. They spent all that time in prayer, in church, in God's Word. And they got it all into their heads. But it didn't do anything to transform their hearts. Not sure why. Um... Clearly, back then and today, 
our elements of faith, the things that we do, the traditions that we practice, give us meaning and purpose. But does our faith, our worship, our prayer, our study of the Bible, do these things change our hearts and our thoughts and make us more Christ-like? What would becoming more Christ-like look like for us? I, I told a friend recently, you know, it seems like I just keep preaching one sermon over and over again. Love one another. But when I see Jesus in the Gospels, that's what I hear him saying. Love one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, by this, everyone will know that you're my followers if you love one another. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself, as I say. And somebody said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, everyone in need. Wow. And yet, the people in Scripture, most like me, the ones who went to church, who studied the Bible, who prayed regularly, they, those people kept ending up the least like Jesus. Why that happened is complicated, and studying it would include us looking at history and anthropology and ancient Mid Middle Eastern society, and we won't be doing all of that today. But to the extent that we are like those people back then, being more religious but less like Jesus, there's something that we can do. We might be able to change. And it takes us back to this original question. What would a caring person do right now? What if those Pharisees, instead of asking the question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They had asked, what would a caring person do right now? How might that have helped connect their head knowledge with their hearts? It wouldn't mean deciding that anything goes, that sin is not sin, uh, that lying and cheating others is just fine. No, but they wouldn't have had to let go of all of their truth, but they didn't have to focus on it right then. It simply leads to addressing the actual people in the room and their needs at that moment. That's what asking that question about caring does. Asking what would a caring person do right now could ward off some of our knee-jerk reactions, our unconscious responses that lead to some of our church-going, Bible-believing friends having reputations for, frankly, always being angry, negative, critical, or just so stuck in their ways that they seem not to have had a new thought in terms of faith for years. A lot of Christians seem to always be able to find something negative to say. And if you're not aware of that, just look up some Christian groups on Facebook. I got caught up in a Pharisaic echo chamber on Facebook not too long ago. I was looking at some posts, and one post asked the question, what's the worst Bible translation and why? Oh, oh my gosh. The angry and attacking posts, uh, they just kept on coming. One said, this version is heretical. Another version said, the people who wrote this translation had a really bad agenda. 
post after post of critical Christians bashing translations of God's word. And of course, non-Christians could care less about any of this. So this is just Christians in a closed group swirling around in their own muck and mire. (sighs) Well, I actually replied to it and I said, why not ask what's the best Bible translation and why? I just thought, wow, what a different set of posts that would get from Christians. No one took me up on it. In fact, somebody replied uh, to me uh, that how important it was to point out untruth when we see it. Uh, Okay, maybe. But we could also ask, what would a caring person do right now? And do that. Please uh, forgive my rant, but I I do have a point. Um, It was good, church-going, Bible-believing, Bible-reading people who stood at the door and complained about what Jesus was doing with the people at Levi's house. I don't want to be those people. And thank goodness, Jesus didn't want even the Pharisees to be those kinds of people. Uh, He had an answer for them. In Mark 2.17, it says, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is kind enough, gracious enough, to leave a door open for these religious, nitpicking rule keepers. He doesn't tell them there's no hope for them. He offers them a life jacket that could draw them closer to the God that they actually worshipped. If they and we will stop running on religious autopilot, using rehearsed phrases and opinions that we haven't reconsidered in years, and instead admit that we need a doctor, that we are sinners, there, there may just be hope for us. And asking what would a caring person do right now helps us have that kind of mindset. Just asking the question sort of jerks our brains a little. The way, you know, when we're daydreaming as we're driving in the car and we hit a pothole and it jerks us back into the moment. Asking that question can kind of cause us to pause in our normal way of thinking and help us think in a different way without that question. It's very easy to remain Pharisees with Pharisee kinds of questions that cause marginalized people to feel unseen and uncared for while giving us the feeling of superiority. I had this happen to me. One of these friends of mine, um, a regular in the church who attended every time the doors were open and knew more about the Bible than I certainly did at the time, couldn't translate his memorized truth that was in his head down into a caring thought for another individual. When I was chaplain at UCLA Medical Center, I was stationed to the floor for children with cancer. And I'd met several times over several weeks with a mom and her little three-year-old girl who had cancer. 
They had a really big room. It would be considered spacious uh, for anyone who was staying for just a couple days. That little girl and her mom had been there for the better part of a year. And uh, I came in and read stories uh, to the little girl and talked to the mom and would pray together. And while I spent time with the little girl, her mom would have a chance to get some work done or just to rest. Well, after a few visits, I learned that uh, they were going home, that they weren't going to be using this room anymore, but actually that mom would be going home alone. And we spent time thinking about and talking about the implications of that. Mom was so far beyond the question, why? Why is any of this happening? Because she'd already realized there, there was no good answer to that question. She was asking, how am I going to live now? She hated that hospital room. But more than that, she hated leaving that hospital room. Well, I was sharing that story and trying to teach a class about how to get my seminary head knowledge down into my heart. And I was teaching it really right after those events occurred. And the, the, the feelings, my emotions were raw at the time. And I shared as much as I possibly could. And afterwards, this friend of mine uh, came up to me in bewilderment and a bit forcefully asked why I hadn't shared the gospel with that mom and that little girl. That's what the little girl needed. That's what the mom needed. I was a bit surprised that he hadn't heard the message of God's love and even salvation in what I had shared. And, and so I asked him, well, what is the gospel? And without a moment's hesitation, and I got to read it to you. He said, it is the good news that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, provided a substitutionary atonement so that based on the work of Christ and the believer's union and co-identification with Christ in that work, overcoming the depravity of humanity so that soteriologically, Christ's death secures the salvation, redemption, justification, sanctification, propitiation, and eternal life of those who believe. Seriously. He said almost those exact words. I said, I don't understand anything you just said. He said, would you like me to explain it again? I said, no. In my opinion, that church-going, Bible-believing brother in Christ had somehow missed the step of getting all the truth he had in his head down anywhere near his heart. It wasn't that I hadn't connected spiritually with that mom and her little girl. I had, and I did share everything I could about faith and hope and love. But mostly, I hoped that whatever I said and whatever I did with those two precious souls in that hospital room answered the question, what would a caring person do right now? Well, that's about all I have for us for this text. Mark, I mean, he jumps right to the next story 
after this. And we are left with church-going, Bible-believing people so caught up in their heads that they never connected with Jesus in their hearts. But Jesus gave them that life jacket. He said, basically, please recognize that your sense of spiritual health and righteousness is keeping you outside the door, outside where I am at work in the world. He says, I, I'm not going to argue with those kind of healthy people. I haven't got time for all those righteous types. I'm too busy helping sinners. I think Jesus wants to say to them, you don't have to stay the way you are. In fact, I'd be really happy if after I'm gone, you'd take up my work with people just like this. Just come in and see them as real people. For us today, our takeaway is that the next time we see people who don't meet our standards, who aren't interested in, our answer, uh, in answering our questions that they're not particularly interested in hearing, let's start by asking ourselves, what would a caring person do right now? And then, let's do that. Amen.
And so we conclude our worship today with words from Psalm 145. As you go, remember this, the God we serve is merciful and compassionate, endlessly patient, and full of faithful love. God is trustworthy in all that he says and faithful in all that he does. Go in confidence, knowing that God goes with you. Go in peace. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you.